Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. <coughs> have to excuse me, I've had a, a cold. I'll go and get my water. Hang on. I was supposed to be speaking last week, but I didn't. I was in bed. Uh, I'm, not really, I'm trying not to sing, <laughs> which is quite difficult because I was to save my voice. Um, it's wonderful. I'm going to read a few verses. What has been shared already has really, has really been encouraging, and, it's, and I'm going to flow on from that. On, the, on Thursdays, we've been going through this book, this little tiny book, uh, called Knowing the Living God. And it was funny because a couple of weeks ago, uh, obviously I, last, last week, the week before, I was thinking about what I was going to say, and I'd written down some things, and lo and behold, they came in with the same verses on the, on the Thursday. And I couldn't believe, I just popped. And they were finishing off the omniscience of God. Now, what does that mean? That means God knows everything. There was a little bit, I'm only reading um, a little bit of this. Here it is, and this is what he said. This is what the chap in this book says. The Lord is the God who sees and knows all things. Knowledge is not something that God must attain to. He doesn't try and get knowledge. It says or search for, or gather. But it's something that he always possesses. Perfectly. Immediately. Effortlessly. Simultaneously. And exhaustively. Wow. He doesn't have to try and know everything. He just does know everything. Literally. Everything. He knows how many atoms there are in the universe. If you wanted to ask him, there have lots of noughts behind it. <laughs> That's what our God is like. He knows absolutely everything. Now that has two big results <laughs> that exposes us if we don't know God to who God is and what we are. We can't hide People do things in the night so that no one can see them. But don't make any difference to God. He knows. So in, for a person who doesn't know God, it's a fearful thing because everybody knows that they're not very nice inside. But we won't talk. We might get to that a bit later. But the other thing it means is that God knows us completely and it has a result. I'm just going to read in Daniel 2, which gives a, a scripture. And that's the only one I'm going to read. Let's put this away. Because it may bring you to a fearful state to know that God knows, knows you um, entirely. Just, I'm just going to read this one more verse, which just explains a little bit about and This is in Daniel. It's equal Daniel somewhere. Here we are. Daniel 2, chapter 20, verse 20. And this is, what, this is Daniel speaking. 2.20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He changes the times, the seasons, he removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and the knowledge to them that know understanding. He reveals the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness 
and the light dwells with him. He knows absolutely everything. He controls everything as well. He's completely in charge. But that has some... We think, well, if God knows everything, it has a response from God about us who know him. And this is the incredible thing. Let's read what Psalm 139. Because we think, well, God knows everything about me. He knows how, he just knows everything. What is his, what is his response going to be towards me? Now, if you don't know him, his response is, you should know, you know, he, he's, he knows how, what, what his holiness is going to have to be justified in his judgment on you. But while you're here on earth, he has mercy on you. But this is what happens about, it, about us. Now, I want you to, we're going to re read this and see that the knowledge of God leads to his caring for us and providing for us, right? O Lord, thou hast searched me and you know me. Then there was my downsitting, my uprising, thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassed my path and my lying down. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Now, thou, hast, thou hast beset me from behind and before. So God's been behind us, before us, and laid thine hand upon me. God lays his hand upon us. Now, if you're a Christian, he lays his hand upon us for good. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I can't attain to it. Whither shall I go from my spirit? You can't get away from God, wherever you are. Whither shall I free from my presence? If I ascend into heaven, thou art there. If I made my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the earth, even there shall thy hand lead me. And the right hand hold me. So the result of God knowing us is that he cares for us. Not the opposite of what we might think. Because we see of what we're like inside and we think he might be cross with us, but he's not. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light unto me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shines the day, and the darkness and light are both alike unto thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, and hast covered me in my mother's womb. Wow, he would have been covered. We could go on through that. Go and read it at home yourself and see how good God is to us. His knowledge causes him to love us. His complete knowledge of him causes him to love us. Look, let's look in Matthew 6. Got quite a few verses today. So you're wearing your Bible out again. Matthew 6, verse 8. He's talking about the heathen who, when they pray, and he said, don't you be like them with vain repetitions, thinking that if they say lots of long, 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 long prayers, God's going to hear them. And he, he said, when you pray, don't you? But be not like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you had need of before you even ask him. He knows. What need? He knows you and he knows your need. Isn't that absolutely fantastic? In 31 and 32 he says, Take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? 
or what shall we drink, or wherewith shall we be clothed? Now, all these things are Gentiles. Everybody out there wants those. And they make even shops called envy to make you want, feel that you need this stuff more and more and more. But God knows. He said, I know you. That's what they seek. But for the Heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. God knows your need. Incredible. His knowing means he supplies our need. That's an incredible thing, isn't it? God, look, let's look at Luke 12. Isn't it wonderful that God knows us, he knows what we need. Luke 12, 22. Now I'm going to read this little bit. It's a whole little passage, 22. Luke 12, 22. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what you should eat, neither for your body what you should put on, the life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouses nor barns, but God feeds them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? And which of you, which taketh thought, can add to his stature one cubit? If then, being not able to do this which is least, why take thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not. Yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So God clothed the grass, which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast in the oven. How much more will he clothe you? O ye of little faith, seek not that which you shall eat or what you shall drink, neither be ye doubtful of mine. For all these things the nations seek after. Your father knows that you have the need of these things. So in a natural world, in our, what we need, God supplies us. Because he's a good God. Because he knows us. He knows our need physically. So there's everything God said he'll give you. He said there. He said, but rather seek the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. That's a wonderful promise. He said, I'll add them unto you. Not just just give you a few bits. He said, I'll add them unto you. We're going to see in a minute how big God's storehouse is. Right, let's look at them. So this is what comes out of God knowing us, that he supplies our need. And he knows us intimately. And he knows all our needs, everything. As Dan has found this week, that God knows his need and supplied them. And we've all... Every time I've cut, God has, I've asked, been asked to speak, God has always given me something. He always does it. Every time he does that. He's wonderful. In Hebrews 4, we have God wanting us to know that we can come into rest. The beginning of Hebrews 4 is talking about coming into a rest. Coming out of unbelief, like they were, and entering into God's rest. And we'll start with verse 9. <clears throat> and again, we see both parts of this, God's supplying and God's knowing. For there remaineth a rest to the people of God. Hebrews 4, verse 9. For he that entereth into his rest has also ceased from his own work, as God did for him, for him his. Let us labour, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man should fall as an same example of unbelief. For... The word of God is quick, powerful, sharper than two-edged sword, piercing, divide asunder, 
soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So here we have again this idea that God knows everything about you. He knows why you do everything. Not what you do, but he knows why you do it. You see, look, it's like a two, it, the word of God, that's what God speaks into our life. Pierces the divine asunder of the soul, which is this thing, what, what I want to do, and the spirit. So we, sometimes you think we're, we're, we're doing things right, but sometimes we suddenly find you, afterwards you realise that you were not in the spirit, but you were, it was run by your emotions. I had a little song and in the middle of it, it says, you didn't move by, you thought it was by faith, but actually it was fear that caused you to do what you were doing. These things happen in our lives. But God shows there's, 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 there's sometimes two sides to the, what we do. And it says, the, uh, the joints are marrow. Now, what does that mean? Well, the joints, what are these? These joints are the bits that move, aren't they? The joints move. But that's not where the life is. The life is not in what we do. The life is in the marrow. The life is inside. It's why we do what we do. It's the life behind. The joints would have no movement if there was no, no marrow. Because the marrow is where the life comes from. So in my life, it's not just what, what I do, what ministry I have, or what I think I ought to be doing for God. It's the reason behind it. And God sees all that. He sees all that. He's the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We think we're doing the right thing for God or whatever we do, but he knows what's behind us. I remember once we were praying for somebody from our old church and I said, Lord, you never healed him. And he said, yeah, because you're only praying because you wanted to show that because you'd left, you you were better than the people who were there. Wow. (laughs) You see, God, we don't know sometimes why we don't get an answer to prayer. But sometimes it's because we're wrong. But you see, what is the reaction? He said, neither any creature, nothing is hid from God. But then he says, seeing that we have a great high priest that is passed into heaven, into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us fold our profession. Whatever it happens, we hold fast. Whether we find we've been doing it right or wrong, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but it was in all points tempted like we are and yet without sin. So he says, he knows just the way you feel. Jesus lived 30 years as an ordinary human being like you and I before his ministry. Now that's quite difficult to understand because he was God as well. But he laid that all, and he knows. He knows exactly where you are. And he said, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace in the time of need. See, so we see here this thing about God knowing everything and just because we have a high priest who's gone before us, he understands. Now that's different to knowing, I believe. He knows everything, but he now understands. He's experienced it. He'd never experienced sin on the cross, he never, but he experienced the results of sin, didn't he? He was separated from his father. And the father had never been like that. He'd never had his son separated from him before. 
So he now, the son understands the way you feel. Because he's been separated from God. Where God could never understand, I don't think, in some respects, what it was like to be separated. Because he was continually in fellowship with, him, with his other parts. With the, with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. Incredible. That he should come down and be separated and take made sin like us so that he could help us when we're in time of need. And we do get times of need, don't we? We get times of need. So here we have a little bit here. Now in Colossians 1, 2, it said, it talks about of his, we are complete in him. Right? It's of his fullness. We have, it says, let's, let's read that. Because I want to show you here, in that little passage, it explains a little bit of that. I heard there was a bit of a discussion about this. <laughs> right, not. For in him, as in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So everything about God, that's Colossians 2, verse 9. 2, verse 9. Now, in Jesus, the fullness of God was. It says, of his fullness. There's the fullness in Christ. The fullness of the Godhead. Everything that God was, Jesus was. Apart from he had laid aside his omnipotence and a few, but his, in his nature, he was just the same as God. But it's when it says, ye are complete, that word is the same word as fullness. We are full in him doesn't mean to say everything's been done because if, if Hebrews is right when we have to come in time of need if there was nothing done if we didn't have to have anything done then we would never be in a time of need so can you see the difference between the two there's a time of need and a time when there's a change and we change from, the, by, from glory to glory by the spirit of God so we haven't, we've arrived in the spirit our life, this life inside me is perfect but the life I live here has to be changed from glory to glory. So we have a fullness in us of him, but in this life I has, there's a change. And that's where God comes in and does it for us. You see. Now, it says fullness there. Now, I was reading um, some Spurgeon, and I think you probably read the, a bit about... Have you... We know that there are many people who get themselves bankrupt. They spend more than they've got coming in. And eventually, it gets to a place where they have to declare themselves bankrupt. But that can never happen to us. You can never bankrupt God's bank. Jesus couldn't. If there's one thing Jesus couldn't do, he couldn't bankrupt heaven. He could call on heaven for everything and anything and it would have been there. You cannot bankrupt heaven. It's unbankruptable. You can call on heaven and you can write a check out for whatever God you need in God and God will said he will supply your need. He says, 
Paul says, my God shall supply all your need according to what? Your faith? No, according to his riches in Christ Jesus. You can't bankrupt God. You can, you can draw on God 24 hours a day, continually, and you wouldn't even touch the mountain of the glory in heaven. You wouldn't. Wow. <laughs> Isn't that a thought? We can't bankrupt heaven. Jesus couldn't even bankrupt heaven. All the thousands of people he healed didn't diminish the power and the glory of God to heal. All the words he said didn't bankrupt the, the um, immense knowledge of God. Yeah, he just didn't. None of it. It's complete and absolutely full. Now we're going to show you this. Where it says, he is riches by Christ Jesus. Now what are these riches? Right, in Colossians 2, we're still in Colossians 2, if some of you are there. Let's go into verse... Colossians 2. He is a prayer for Paul here in Colossians 2 2. The heart's being comforted, being knit together in love, unto all the riches of the full assurance of the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father in Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wow! All the treasures, they're in God and they're available in Christ for us. That's beyond, beyond it, isn't it? That's the riches in Christ Jesus. So if you want knowledge, it says in James, if you want wisdom, ask God for it. Because he's got an unlimited supply. God is unlimited. He is. Eternal. There's no bounds to God. You could go on for eternity and still never come to the edge of him. Anything about him. So in his supply to us, he's eternal. He says, who's going to feed me? I don't need feeding. He said, I own the field on a thousand hills. Cattle on a thousand hills. He said, I own them all. He says, he doesn't need, God doesn't need anything. But he, gives, he, he, he knows how to give to us. He's full of, give, give, of giving to us this morning. Let's look on a bit further in Ephesians 1. I think Paul had begun to understand a little bit about all this. Because that's why he says, my God. You see, it comes out, my God shall supply your need. He'd learn in his own life that God will supply his need. Now he says he was content if he didn't have something but he was blessed when he did have something. So there was a contentment in him. But God always supplied his need. Every time. He says, my God. He said, because it came out of his relationship. In, one, in one Ephesians 1, 7, in whom, this is talking about Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. The grace of God is so rich this morning, you can call on it. The riches are the grace of God. Let's go on to verse 18. We'll go through these quickly as we shall won't have time. The eyes of your understanding may be enlightened, that you may what is, like, know the hope of his calling. What is the riches 
of his glory in the inheritance of the saints. That's the glory he's put in us. It's inside us. The inheritance, the riches of the glory. In 2.7 we read, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding, exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ. Exceeding riches. Paul can't, he's, he's running out of words. <laughs> he can't express it. The exceeding riches. That's in 3.8. Unto me who am least of the saints, this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles, the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable. They're so big. We can't get to the end of them. This is how big our God. We cannot bankrupt God in whatever we need from him. Hallelujah. In Romans 9, we'll go over to Romans now. We're just two verses in Romans. Romans 9. This is wonderful. This is the God we serve, who is rich in mercy towards us, isn't he? 9.23. Right. He's talking about his long suffering on us who were fitted for destruction, but he saved us that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. That's us. He might make known the riches of his glory on us. In your life, you can call on him. In, verse, in chapter 11, verse 33, Oh, the depth of the riches of both the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. There's the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. It's so deep and it's so rich, it's beyond our comprehension. But he says, you can come and have it. Now, because it's eternal. When we read in Romans 8, verse 39, Or 38. I am persuaded that neither death nor life, angels or principalities, powers or things present nor things, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall separate us from the love of God. There's this enormous love of God, isn't there? He talks in another place about this, the God who, uh, who's, whose love is so big that we don't know the depth. I can't remember the proper verse. Love of God. It's so big. It's so, if, you need love of, if you need to know love this morning, the love of God is so big that it's unsearchable. You'll never get over it. It's so big, so high, so the kids say, but it's such a simple song. But it's so real. The reality of the love of God in our lives will set us free. If we will only be brave enough to draw on the bank of the love of God. If you need to know the love of God this morning, it's so big, so full, so free. Isn't it wonderful? We've already read in Colossians 2 about the assurance. It means the full assurance. If you want assurance this morning, there's a full assurance. You can draw on the bank of heaven for assurance this morning. You can draw on the bank of heaven for strength. Let's read it. 2 Chronicles 16.9. Two Chronicles sixteen nine. 
This is another one which talks actually about God's knowledge. 2 Chronicles 16, 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. We've had a new heart. He's made us perfect towards him. So God runs to and fro. He looks for people who he can show his strength to. Isn't that fantastic? Isn't that fantastic? When you need strength, it comes from him. In Ephesians 3.6, he says, and that's the reason why Paul in Ephesians 3.6 says this. Ephesians 3.6. No, that's not the right verse. No, I've got the wrong verse. It doesn't matter. God supplies. He provides our strength in time of weakness. Mercy. Go home and read Psalm 139. It's got how many verses? 26 verses. Every verse says, the mercy of the Lord endures forever. 26 times. He endures forever. If you want the mercy from God, it endures forever. Go and read Psalm 136 for you. The mercy of God, he wants us to know his mercy endures forever. It goes on forever. It's eternal. It's completely. His forgiveness, his nature is forgiveness. In Matthew 18, he tell, they say, how many times should we forgive? Seven times? And he says, no. Seven times, 70. His, that's his character. He says, you need to learn forgiveness. Like I have forgiveness. If you need forgiveness this morning, God's forgiveness is eternal. You see, he says, look, what does he say? He talks about it, doesn't he? He talks about it. He says, where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. You can't out-sin the grace of God. The grace of God, the bank of grace, is bigger than your sin this morning. It's bigger. It doesn't mean to say we sin, no. But the grace of God is bigger. It doesn't matter what your situation is, it's bigger. It's bigger than you. <laughs> Salvation. Oh, in, in, in uh, Matthew 11, 8, 28, it says, Come unto me, all ye that labour and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. All of you. doesn't matter how big you are, whatever, however much you are under stress and strain, he says, my bank of heaven, of rest, is there for you this morning. Salvation. In Genesis 22, 14, now you're all waiting, I knew you'd be waiting for me to say this verse about Jehovah Jireh. Now we know what that means, do we? What does Jehovah Jireh mean? God who provides. But actually, that is not what it says. Jehovah Jireh doesn't say that. Jehovah Jireh says God who sees. That's what it actually means. God who sees. You see, he seed, he saw our, our situation. What does it say here? We all know the story where he was asked, he'd been promised a son, and that through that son, the whole, the whole nations of the world will be blessed. And he had the son, and then God says, I want you to sacrifice him. So he goes up, and he's just about to sacrifice him, and the angel comes and shouts, no, no, you better not do that. Don't do it. No. And then he sees there's a, a ram caught by his 
horns in a thicket. And then he takes that perfect lamb. Because it had to be, if it was caught by its anything else, it would have been damaged. And because it was caught by its horns, it was still undamaged ram. Perfect before God. And so this was a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of what Jesus did. And the name of Jesus means salvation. He came to be our salvation. And it says, And Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, as it is said to this day, In the mount of the Lord it shall be seen. So it means God sees, but because he sees, he provides. And because our greatest need has been salvation, he sees and he provides his salvation. Even, even before we asked him. In Colossians 1.21, when it says when we were enemies of God, God sent his son. His supply of salvation is for everyone in this room this morning. If you don't know him, you can enter into these relations, this, this knowing God and being in a relationship where you're his son and his benefits are upon you. Not because of what you've done, but because the obedience of his son. And that's what this picture is, of this, having to, this lamb having to be slain is a picture of Christ, isn't it? We see the same picture, a similar picture in John 3, where he talks about another picture in the Old Testament where the serpent was, hand, was lifted up in the wilderness and anyone who looked at them, looked at the serpent, they'd been bitten by serpents and he made a brass serpent. He said, if you look at that brass serpent, you'll be healed. So they had to get out of their black tents and their blackness and look. That's all they had to do, was look unto the, and believe what God's, said through Moses, and they'll be healed. And he said, as Moses lifted up a serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Now that verb, be lifted up, they understood that to be crucified. Because some other places where he talks about being lifted up, they understood it as being crucified. Whosoever believing in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In this way, God loved the world, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a life that not just goes on forever, but is a, a life of a completely different, completely different life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, that the world for him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but that he that believeth not is condemned already, because not believed on the name of the Son of God. So God has provided Today is Jehovah Jireh, which is Jesus himself. Jesus himself. The one who sees, he saw Abraham's heart that he was prepared to sacrifice his son. He saw and he provided a lamb so that his son would not be killed. So we, as the same, in the same way, as we look at Jesus, who was killed for us so that we wouldn't have to die and go to hell, he went into death for us. And in the same way, we are raised in his likeness. Wow. And that's what it's all talking about. What God has done for us. And it's a wonderful thing this morning, the glory of God, that he wants us to understand that he, when he knows us, it's not that he knows us to condemn us, because we were already condemned because of what we were. But he came not to condemn us, 
but to save us. So this morning, you can draw on heaven's forgiveness, heaven's salvation, which is, it says, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord, who's the Lord? Jesus shall be saved. And that doesn't matter whether you are in a situation where you need forgiveness, mercy, strength, assurance, love. You can call on him. Because the name means, it talks about the person. The name, when it talks about the name, it talks about the personality. And the personality of God, he's a Jehovah Jireh God. This morning, who sees where we are, wants to meet our needs. And send his son, he proved that by sending his son while we were still in dead in trespasses and sins, when we were enemies, he sent his son. Before we saw anything, there is no good in anybody, it says. There's nothing to do with what you've done. It's to do with what he's done this morning. And he came to provide for you so that you can draw today on the bank of heaven whatever you need. Now, I haven't even spoken about healing. God, he says, he's a healer. I'm the God that heals thee, he says. I'm a God that heals thee. Jesus proved that. It was one of the reasons, one of the proofs of who Jesus was, that he healed. You, this morning, if you need physical healing, you can come to the bank of heaven. You can come to the bank of heaven, the bank of heaven that will never run dry. Hallelujah. Whatever you need this morning, come to him. Because it's all in Jesus. My God, says Paul, shall supply your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus this morning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Well, if you want to come, Luke will pray. I think we will pray. If you want healing, he's a God who supplies your need. If you want salvation, Come and talk to Luke. If you want anything, forgiveness, you want another sure forgiveness of God and you need someone to pray for you, come here. Because forgiveness tears you apart. Whatever you need, he is here this morning with his bank is open. It never closes. He's not shutting any branches down. It's always open. It's 24-7 bank of heaven this morning for you and you can draw on the bank of heaven I don't care how big a check you write God is able to supply your need Amen He's a wonderful God this morning Amen Amen Thank you Jesus Can we sing he knows my he knows my need